Chapters 5 through 12 of the Perpetual Virginity of Blessed Mary by St. Jerome. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. 5. This, however, is a point which will find its proper place further on. We must now hasten to other matters. The passage for discussion now is, And Joseph arose from his sleep, and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, till she had brought forth the son, and he called his name Jesus. Here, first of all, it is quite needless for our opponent to show so elaborately that the word no has reference to coition rather than intellectual apprehension, as though anyone denied it, or any person in his senses could ever imagine the folly which Hevidius takes pains to refute. Then he would teach us that the adverb till implies a fixed and definite time, and when that is fulfilled, he says the event takes place which previously did not take place, as in the case before us, and knew her not till she had brought forth the son. It is clear, says he, that she was known after she brought forth, and that the knowledge was only delayed by her engendering a son. To defend his position, he piles up text upon text, waves his sword like a blindfolded gladiator, rattles his noisy tongue, and ends with wounding no one but himself. 6. Our reply is briefly this. The words new and till, in the language of Holy Scripture, are capable of a double meaning. As to the former, he himself gave us a dissertation to show that it must be referred to sexual intercourse, and no one doubts that it is often used of the knowledge of the understanding. As, for instance, the boy Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and his parents knew it not. Now we have to prove that just as in the one case he has followed the usage of Scripture, so with regard to the word till, he is utterly refuted by the authority of the same Scripture, which often denotes by its use a fixed time. He himself told us so, frequently time without limitation, as when God by the mouth of the prophet says to certain persons, even to old age I am he. Will he cease to be God when they have grown old? And the Savior in the Gospel tells the apostles, Lo, I am with you alway, even unto the end of the world. Will the Lord then, after the end of the world has come, forsake his disciples? And at the very time, when seated on twelve thrones, they are to judge the twelve tribes of Israel. Will they be bereft of the company of their Lord? Again, Paul the Apostle, writing to the Corinthians, says, Christ, the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming, then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. Granted that the passage relates to our Lord's human nature, we do not deny that the words are spoken of him who endured the cross, and is commanded to sit afterwards on the right hand. What does he mean, then, by saying, For he must reign, till he hath put all enemies under his feet? Is the Lord to reign only until his enemies begin to be under his feet? And once they are under his feet, will he cease to reign? Of course his reign will then commence in its fullness, when his enemies begin to be under his feet. David also, in the fourth song of Ascents, speaks thus, Behold, 
as the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress, so will our eyes look unto the Lord our God, until he have mercy upon us. Will the prophet then look unto the Lord until he obtain mercy? And when mercy is obtained, will he turn his eyes down to the ground? Although elsewhere he says, Mine eyes fail for thy salvation, and for the word of thy righteousness. I could accumulate countless instances of this usage, and cover the verbosity of our assailant with a cloud of proofs. I shall, however, add only a few, and leave the reader to discover like ones for himself. 7. The word of God says in Genesis, And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand, and the rings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem, and lost them until this day. Likewise, at the end of Deuteronomy, so Moses the servant of the Lord died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley, in the land of Moab, over against Beth Peor. But no man knoweth of his sepulchre unto this day. We must certainly understand by this day the time of the composition of the history. Whether you prefer the view that Moses was the author of the Pentateuch, or that Ezra re-edited it. In either case, we make no objection. The question now is whether the words unto this day are to be referred to the time of publishing or writing the books. And if so, it is for him to show, now that so many years have rolled away since that day, that either the idols hidden beneath the oak have been found, or the grave of Moses discovered. For he obstinately maintains that what does not happen so long as the point of time indicated by until and unto has not been attained, begins to be when that point has been reached. He would do well to pay heed to the idiom of Holy Scripture, and understand with us, it was here he stuck in the mud, that some things which might seem ambiguous, if not expressed, are plainly intimated, while others are left to the exercise of our intellect. For if, while the event was still fresh in memory, and men were living who had seen Moses, it was possible for his grave to be unknown. Much more may this be the case after the lapse of so many ages. And in the same way we must interpret what we are told concerning Joseph. The evangelist pointed out a circumstance which might have given rise to some scandal, namely that Mary was not known by her husband until she was delivered. And he did so that we might be the more certain that she from whom Joseph refrained while there was room to doubt the import of the vision was not known after her delivery. In short, what I want to know is why Joseph refrained until the day of her delivery. Helvidius will, of course, reply, because he heard the angel say, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And in turn we rejoin that he had certainly heard him say, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. The reason why he was forbidden to forsake his wife was that he might not think her an adulteress. Is it true, then, that he was ordered not to have intercourse with his wife? Is it not plain that the warning was given him that he might not be separated from her? And could the just man dare, he says, to think of approaching her when he heard that the Son of God was in her womb? Excellent. 
we are to believe then that the same man who gave so much credit to a dream that he did not dare to touch his wife yet afterwards when he had learned from the shepherds that the angel of the lord had come from heaven and said to them be not afraid for behold i bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be for all people for there is born to you this day in the city of david a savior which is christ the lord and when the heavenly host had joined with him in the chorus glory to god in the highest and on earth peace among men of good will and when he had seen just simeon embraced the infant and exclaim now lettest thou thy servant depart o lord according to thy word in peace for mine eyes have seen thy salvation and when he had seen anna the prophetess the magi the star herald the angels helvidius i say would have us believe that joseph though well acquainted with surprising wonders dared to touch the temple of god the abode of the holy ghost the mother of his lord mary at all events kept all these sayings in her heart you cannot for shame say joseph did not know of them for luke tells us his father and mother were marveling at the things which were spoken concerning him and yet you with marvelous effrontery contend that the reading of the greek manuscripts is corrupt although it is that which nearly all the greek writers have left us in their books and not only so but several of the latin writers have taken the words the same way nor need we now consider the variations in the copies since the whole record both of the old and new testament has since that time been translated into latin and we must believe that the water of the fountain flows purer than that of the stream nine helvidius will answer what you say is in my opinion mere trifling your arguments are so much waste of time and the discussion shows more subtlety than truth why could not scripture say as it said of tamar and judah and he took his wife and knew her again no more could not matthew find words to express his meaning he knew her not he says until she brought forth a son he did then after her delivery know her whom he had refrained from knowing until she was delivered Ten. if you are so contentious your own thoughts shall now prove your master you must not allow any time to intervene between delivery and intercourse you must not say if a woman conceive seed and bear a man-child then she shall be unclean seven days as in the days of the separation of her sickness shall she be unclean and in the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised and she shall continue in the blood of her purifying three and thirty days she shall touch no hallowed thing and so forth on your showing joseph must at once approach her and be subject to jeremiah's reproof they were as mad horses in respect of women every one nighed after his neighbor's wife otherwise how can the words stand good he knew her not till she had brought forth a son if he waits after the time of another purifying has expired if his lust must brook another long delay of forty days the mother must go unpurged from her child-bed taint and the wailing infant be attended to by the midwives while the husband clasps his exhausted wife thus forsooth must their marriage life begin so that the evangelist may not be convicted of falsehood but god forbid that we should think thus of the saviour's mother 
and of a just man. No midwife assisted at his birth. No woman's officiousness intervened. With her own hands she wrapped him in the swaddling clothes, herself both mother and midwife, and laid him, we are told, in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. A statement which, on the one hand, refutes the ravings of the apocryphal accounts, for Mary herself wrapped him in the swaddling clothes, and on the other makes the voluptuous notion of Helvidius impossible, since there was no place suitable for married intercourse in the inn. 11. An ample reply has now been given to what he advanced respecting the words before they came together, and he knew her not, till she had brought forth the son. I must now proceed, if my reply is to follow the order of his argument, to the third point. He will have it that Mary bore other sons, and he quotes the passage, and Joseph also went up to the city of David, to enroll himself with Mary, who was betrothed to him, being great with child. And it came to pass, while they were there, the days were fulfilled that she should be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son. From this he endeavors to show that the term firstborn is inapplicable except to a person who has brothers, just as he is only begotten who is the only son of his parents. 12. Our position is this. Every only begotten son is a firstborn son, but not every firstborn is an only begotten. By firstborn we understand not only one who is succeeded by others, but one who has no predecessor. Everything says the Lord to Aaron, that openeth the womb of all flesh, which they offer unto the Lord, both of man and beast shall be thine. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man shalt thou surely redeem, and the firstlings of unclean beasts shalt thou redeem. The word of God defines firstborn as everything that openeth the womb. Otherwise, if the title belongs to such only as have younger brothers, the priests cannot claim the firstlings until their successors have been begotten, lest, perchance, in case there was no subsequent delivery, it should be proved to be the firstborn, but not merely the only begotten. And those that are to be redeemed of them from a month old shalt thou redeem, according to thine estimation, for the money of five shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary, the same as twenty giras. But the firstling of an ox, or the firstling of a sheep, or the firstling of a goat, thou shalt not redeem, they are holy. The word of God compels me to dedicate to God everything that openeth the womb, if it be the firstling of clean beasts. If of unclean beasts, I must redeem it, and give the value to the priest. I might reply and say, Why do you tie me down to the short space of a month? Why do you speak of the firstborn, when I cannot tell whether there are brothers to follow? Wait until the second is born. I owe nothing to the priest, unless the birth of a second should make the one I previously had the firstborn. Will not the very points of the letters cry out against me and convict me of my folly and declare that firstborn is a title of him that opens the womb and is not to be restricted to him who has brothers? And then to take the case of John, we are agreed that he was an only begotten son. I want to know if he was not also a firstborn son and whether he was not absolutely amenable to the law. 
there can be no doubt in the matter. At all events, Scripture thus speaks of the Savior. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were fulfilled, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. If this law relates only to the firstborn, and there can be no firstborn unless there are successors, no one ought to be bound by the law of the firstborn, who cannot tell whether there will be successors. But inasmuch as he who has no younger brothers is bound by the law of the firstborn, we gather that he is called the firstborn who opens the womb and who has been preceded by none, not he whose birth is followed by that of a younger brother. Moses writes in Exodus, And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of cattle. Tell me, were they who then perished by the destroyer only your firstborn, or something more? Did they include the only begotten? If only they who have brothers are called firstborn, the only begotten were saved from death. And if it be the fact that the only begotten were slain, it was contrary to the sentence pronounced. For the only begotten to die, as well as the firstborn. You must either release the only begotten from the penalty, and in that case you become ridiculous, or if you allow that they were slain, we gain our point, though we have not to thank you for it, that only begotten sons also are called firstborn. End of chapters 5 through 12.